has ended. The temporary illusion of freedom is over. It's time to leave the beach, remove the sand from your ears, and deal with the weird tan lines that you've developed and go back to school. Welcome to the sixth and final episode of our Summer Music Festival series, Music Academy of the West Edition. Shortly, you'll be hearing from New York Philharmonic Concertmaster Frank Huang. But before that, let's just take a look back on what we've learned in this miniseries. Obviously, we've learned that we should all move to Santa Barbara because, from what I've gathered, all they do there is play music, surf, and take long walks on the beach. Additionally, Jeremy Dank taught us about ragtime and ragging classical music. Bill Williams taught us about removing mental blocks to music performance. Matthew O'Coin taught us what a difference a residency makes for a composer. Cynthia Phelps taught us why the viola is no joke. And Thomas Hampson taught us how to use the force when performing and in life. Oh, and let's not forget about our spirit guides, Music Academy President and CEO Scott Reed, faculty clarinet Richie Holly, and viola fellow Matthew Sinno. What they've taught us about the Music Academy could fill a trapper keeper. Speaking of spirit guides, here's Richie Holly to tell us a little about something we haven't spent a lot of time on yet in this series, the festival's orchestra. You know, there's, there's an orchestra here that is one of the centerpieces of this festival. The orchestra is exactly... Uh, the mirror of a major symphony orchestra where you have four clarinets, four bassoons, four oboes, four flutes. And it's sort of like a junior varsity team. And uh, you've got the varsity team that that helps mentor the junior varsity. And, And in fact, this orchestra plays at the level of any professional orchestra in this country. And um, in the morning, there's an orchestra rehearsal, and I'll come and listen to some of the highlights of that. And um, I will be wearing sneakers because I'll be running from the very top balcony in the Granada Theater all the way down to the stage to tell someone just to play one note louder or softer, and then I run back up. And it's, it's fun because uh, it's my little contribution to this big masterpiece and this big project that will be happening five days later. I went to an amazing concert that the orchestra played this last Saturday. And for me, in the concert, watching Saturday night was very emotional on the same way that one experiences watching a college football game. You know when you're watching a college football game, there's an amazing talent, and you really don't know what's going to happen. You're hoping that it's going to be be the most dynamic event ever. Uh, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But when it is, it's just off the charts on a way that a super slick, well-rehearsed football team from the NFL, it kind of is boring compared with a college football game. As you may have noticed, there are a lot of sportsing analogies in what Richie had to say. Producer Todd tells me that in sportsing, teams often trade players, which is exactly what happened to New York Philharmonic concertmaster Frank Wong. He used to be concertmaster of the Houston Symphony, but I'll let him tell you the story. Frank is, as I said, concertmaster of the New York Philharmonic and former concertmaster of the Houston Symphony. We're not bitter. He first played with the Houston Symphony, by the way, at the age of 11. He's performed with orchestras throughout the world and has appeared on everything from Performance Today to Good Morning America. Recently, through a special partnership between the Music Academy of the West and the New York Philharmonic, he's been hanging out at the Music Academy as a visiting artist. Frank Huang, welcome to the Classical Classroom. Thank you for having me. So uh, my first question is, what what did we do wrong, Frank? I mean... <laughs> what do you mean, in Houston? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nothing. It was uh, it was a great few years. My parents lived there, so uh, it's still my hometown. Yeah. I grew up there, um, and I love it. I still uh, plan to be back uh, 
to see my parents and visit my friends there uh, quite often. Yeah. Um, it was a very difficult decision to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I thought about it for a long time. Um, and finally decided to, to move uh, back to New York. So you, but you mostly grew up in Houston, right? I grew up in Houston. Uh, I was born in Beijing in China, mm-hmm. but I moved to Houston when I was about six years old um, to, to come live with my parents who had already been there for a few years. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. And um, mm-hmm. just b- before we go any deeper into this discussion, because we're going to be talking a lot about the role of the concert master, and we've mm-hmm. talked about that before on the show, but I, I was wondering if you could just remind our listeners what the job of a concert master is. Right. I get asked this all the time. A concert <laughs> master is a kind of a strange job. It's a little hard to explain. Um, there are certain technical things that we do, such as organizing the bowings for the string sections mm-hmm. to make sure we're all on the same page as far as what direction the bows are going and also what kind of bow usage fits the character of the music that we're playing. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a very technical aspect. Um, the other more kind of harder to explain parts of the job I would characterize as kind of being a translator for the conductor to translate the conductor's motions into very clear signals for the rest of the orchestra. Oh, um, yeah. So, so you're kind of taking messages from the, the conductor and bringing them to the orchestra sort of... In a way, in a way. Yeah. It's just to make sure that everyone is always together and always knowing uh, when to play and what kind of character to give the music. You know, something just occurred to me, and this is going to sound like a ridiculous question, but I, I know that, <laughs> as you said, part of your job is to make sure that the bows are moving in the same way. What happens right. when you have a left-handed violinist? A left-handed violinist? You, I I have heard of that being possible. I haven't actually seen any left-handed violinist. You mean holding the violin on the right side and playing with the bow in the left hand? Yeah. If they learned how to play the instrument on the opposite side that uh-huh. most people play? Yeah. Uh, it, in some orchestras, uh, the second violin section sits across from the first violin section. So in that way, if you had a whole section of people playing on the right side, it could probably work. Yeah. Um, but if there's only one person that plays that way, I think it, it'll it'll be a little strange uh, regardless of how you, <laughs> how you do it. Um, it does happen, I think, but but very, very rarely. Yeah, I just, because, you know, whenever I've been out to see a symphony, it's it's so lovely the way that, that the symphony sort of not only is playing together, but moves together. And then I imagine this, this one right. poor person. Well, visually, who's... you know, a lot of it is for the visual reason uh-huh. that, that it looks very uniform. Um, but more importantly, it gives all the musicians the same character, like the same amount of sound and the same amount of care in, in, yeah. in what they're playing, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So, so okay, we have officially established what a concert master's job is. And I would love okay. to hear <laughs> the story of how, well, how you became concert master. Uh, of the Houston Symphony, because as I mm-hmm. said at the beginning of the show, you actually played with the symphony when you were 11. I'm going to imagine right. that did not happen then. Um, <laughs> but then, and then you moved to the New York Phil, and as you said, that was a difficult journey. So just tell me a bit right. of your story. Well, so I 
When I was younger and starting to play violin, you know, I had many interests in, in even after I decided to dedicate my life to, to being a musician, there are a lot of paths, especially for a violinist, you, you know, you can choose to, to play chamber music and in some cases play quartets exclusively. Mm -hmm. You can pursue a solo career and travel around and play concertos with orchestras. Uh, you can play in a great orchestra. And, and in each case, uh, it's very different the repertoire you're playing and it's a very personal preference in some ways mm. but for me growing up I I was always more drawn to the chamber music world especially quartets <laughs> which you know it's just four people and you pick the music you want to play in most cases and you rehearse as as long as you want and you perform these these great quartet masterpieces mm. so that was my passion for a long time um, and I was in a string quartet for a little while called the Ying Quartet. They're in residency at the Eastman School of Music in Rochester. Uh -huh. So I was uh, in that quartet at the time when Houston offered me the job as concertmaster. And I had done some concertmaster work, some guest concertmaster weeks with certain orchestras. Mm, okay. but, but I hadn't really considered it as a profession in a way because I was so in love with, with the quartet literature I was also pursuing some solo stuff. You know, it, it's fun to travel around and get to play concertos with these orchestras, you know, all over the world as well. But that life for me personally was a little bit lonely, I guess. Like, you know, you're always on the road by yourself. Yeah. Um, and having quartet mates, having three other people with you, whether you get along with them or not, it's still <laughs> kind of a more social <laughs> feeling. Uh -huh. So being a concertmaster for a few weeks in these other orchestras kind of gave me an idea what the job was like. Mm -hmm. And to me, it always seemed like it was just leading a quartet, but a giant one, you know, with like 21st <laughs> violinists instead of just me. And, <laughs> nice. you know, the sound that you can get and the, the, you know, getting to know some of the repertoire, there's some unbelievable music for orchestra. So... Uh, it was very fun for me to do those weeks. And when Houston came along, that was a tough decision for me as well. I had just joined the quartet. I was teaching at Eastman, and it, I thought about it for, for a very long time. My parents put a little pressure on me to move back uh, to be closer to them, of <laughs> uh <-huh>. course. <laughs> so that was also a big factor in that decision. Yeah. But yeah, it was really great to be back home, to be living in Houston. I got to know the city a lot better uh, the last five years than when I was growing up. <laughs> um, well, so your time with the Houston Symphony lasted for about, it was five years. Um, and then right, four or five seasons. Yeah. And then, and then the New York Phil came after you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, they, I knew that they had, an opening because I knew that Glenn Dictoro, who had been concertmaster there for 34 years, I knew he was retiring. It was, you know, a pretty big deal in the classical music world, especially the orchestral world. He, he was a, a legendary concertmaster, the longest serving of the New York Phil. I think. Wow! And they announced their audition. You know, I, of course, I thought about it, but I was very happy in Houston. Um, I was teaching at the University of Houston and at Rice University also, and everything seemed very set for me. You know, I I, I didn't really pursue or or think about going to 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 take the audition, 
But they had a few auditions and uh, didn't hire anybody. And somebody from the office contacted me and asked if I would like to come and play for them, play for the committee. So I found a time to do that, and and it led to a couple of weeks as a guest concertmaster there. Mm-hmm. And finally, that led to them offering me the job there. Wow! And there and now there you are. How how are you? How are you? Adjusting to New York because this is a fa- fairly recent move. Oh yeah, we. I mean, this past year I've been flying back and forth. I was basically in both orchestras for for one season, mm-hmm. um, which you know I thought about continuing to play in Houston a little bit more, but it was actually it was very tough just to make the scheduling work. Did you feel kind of schizophrenic? I mean, like, like yeah, <laughs> um, what was it like? No, I mean, it's a little strange when you, you know, you sit down for a rehearsal one day with a certain group of people, and then the next week after your week's concerts are over, you're, you find yourself sitting with, like, a completely different group of people. But I have a lot of good friends in both orchestras, and and for me, there's always ways to improve or to, you know, to make the pieces you're playing uh, sound better. So the focus is always just to to make the that week's concerts as, as good as they can be, as convincing as they can be. Yeah. So I didn't think too much about how weird it was in a way. <laughs> you um, didn't actually accidentally start playing the, the wrong piece with the, the wrong pieces, wrong no. <laughs> <laughs> so so all right, let's talk about how the Music Academy of the West has figured into your career. I understand that you started mm-hmm. out there as a fellow, is that right? I did. I was here for two years as a student, uh, almost 20 years ago now, I think. What was that experience like for you? How was it going to that festival as opposed to others? Well, this festival, first of all, it's in one of the most beautiful places, I think, that any music festival uh, takes takes shape. Uh, I remember my my two summers here being very, very fun you know, making a lot of new friends, which is you know always the case at these music festivals. Mm-hmm. You you get together with all these other people that have decided more or less to dedicate their life to classical music, to play an instrument, and uh, you know making music together with with other people. I find that for me, the Music Academy had a kind of a unique format and it may be a little different now but there was always a a lot of variety i remember playing in in quartets here Mm -hmm. i got to play uh, a little bit of a concerto as a winner of the concerto competition you have some orchestra experience as well so the variety is quite important for at least for me at that time because i wasn't sure which one of these kind of uh, more isolated fields i would be going into yeah and having the chance to do a little of everything was was really nice. A lot of great festivals are very specific. Like you can go work on quartets for a summer. You can go work on your solo repertoire for a summer. Mm-hmm. Or you can go play in an orchestra for a summer and learn uh, you know, how to do that. So having the variety and the experience to do all of those things in one place was, was pretty nice, I think. Well, so and now you're back. You know, and now your for- your focus is very much in the orchestral realm. What right. wh- is that right. different from what you were sort of focusing on then? I mean, you said you were sampling things, but I imagine you have like a 
special interests? Well, so I, I, you know, even now, even though I'm I'm concertmaster um, of a great orchestra, and that's kind of my focus. Like this week, while I'm here, um, I'm still teaching uh, a lot of solo, you know, lessons for for the students. Uh, if they want to play excerpts for for an audition for an orchestra coming up, uh, more than happy to to hear that. But a lot of them have been bringing their concertos or sonatas, mm -hmm. uh, you know, whatever they're, they're working on. And I'm always, I always like to encourage people, even if they're preparing for auditions and they're just focused on orchestral excerpts and things like that, that you have to make sure that you're still growing as a musician. Being a good chamber musician, playing a lot of chamber music is actually really important in terms of becoming a good musician and uh, if you end up being a soloist or playing in an orchestra, those skills will um, help you a lot, uh -huh. uh, especially in an orchestra where you're part of a large section that the basic skills of listening, watching, playing together, getting a sense of the character from what your your colleagues are doing, all of that is super important. So um, I encourage all the students to really do as much chamber and, and solo playing as they can, even if they're ultimate goal is to end up in an orchestra. Huh. Interesting. And so, and I'm wondering too, what is it like to go back to this place, Music Academy of the West? You know, when you, oh, went, you went there when fantastic. you were a fellow, yeah. now you're a seasoned professional. <laughs> are, are you like seeing, are there people who, who were there when you were a fellow who are still there today? Of course. A lot of the faculty are the same, which is um, also an amazing feat for a, a music festival. Um, I just two days ago at the the concert here finally played chamber music together with Kathy Winkler, who was my teacher here when I was a student for two years. Wow. And we played this, uh, the Tchaikovsky Sextet Souvenir de Florence together. been super fun just to catch up with her and she teaches at Rice University so I, I saw her in Houston quite often um, but we never you know really got to play together until until here so that was really fun for me yeah did you do you get any of that um, you know how when you return home after being gone for a long time people still think of you as as a youngster do you get any of that from people who are older than you, sort of. I do a little bit. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I do a little bit. Some people have confused me for uh, being a student here uh, at times, <laughs> and also that used to happen to me at Eastman too. When I started teaching there, uh, I got in trouble for going into the faculty lounge a few times. <laughs> That's um, great. But I, you know, I take it as a compliment. I'll take it as long as as it happens. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Well, I'm I'm curious too. What are, what are you doing uh, specifically there at the festival this summer? I know you're a visiting artist, so you're you're playing performances. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. what performances you, you just mentioned one but but what other right. per, I can't um, talk today what other performances are you playing 
that was the that was the only concert this week. Um, the rest of our schedule is is pretty packed full with teaching mostly, uh-huh. uh, probably four or five hours of teaching a day. Plus, uh, the first two days we were here, my colleagues from the New York Philharmonic, we we listened to some auditions. We, the students prepared some auditions. You know, we had violinists, bass players, cellists, violists. Um, all the woodwinds, all the brass, you know, f- basically for the whole orchestra for this global academy. And we're going to select, you know, maybe up to 10 of these students to come to New York oh, wow. uh, next season and and perform with the orchestra, with the New York Philharmonic. And, uh, you know, again, coach coach them and work with them intensively for, for a few days in New York. Wow, that's super um, cool. Yeah, that didn't happen when I was a student. It's a relatively new thing, but um, I, I would have loved to have an opportunity like that when I was a student. So I think that's a great um, initiative that they're starting here. Yeah. Well, when you are, I, I have talked to some other people at the Music Academy who, you know, I understand that as professionals, they're still sitting in the orchestra playing like at the performances that the community comes to. They're in Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. The you mm-hmm. know they're actually all sitting in the orchestra together. Right. So so right. are you doing that? And if so, are you in the role of concert master or how how does that work? No, it would be super fun. But unfortunately, I'm leaving. There's a orchestra concert I think Saturday night, um, and I'm leaving Saturday morning at like seven or eight a.m. So I I won't I won't be able to be a part of that. Um, but maybe in the future there will be some opportunities. But again, this you, you know, in the orchestra here, I think it, it is still it's nice for the students to get a chance to um, to lead, especially for a concertmaster. Mm. I think there are some big solos this week uh, in this uh, final concert. They're doing um, Scheherazade, which has a very famous, um, a couple of very famous concertmaster solos. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I, I would imagine the students would, would have had some kind of audition or competition to see who gets to play yeah. or who gets to, to have that concertmaster role. Okay, I see. Um, so, you know, yeah. it's great experience for them. But, you know, in the future, it would be super fun to play uh, in the orchestra with, with all these talented uh, students. Cool. Frank Huang, thank you so much for taking the time to be on this show today. It's been great talking to you. I'm I'm glad uh, we finally got a chance to speak. I've been wanting to have you on. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. All right, everybody, that does it for this episode of Classical Classroom. For more Classroom, go to houstonpublicmedia.org slash classroom. You can find links to all of our social media there, and you should follow them all at once. Email me at dclay at houstonpublicmedia.org. Subscribe to us, rate us, and review us on iTunes because your mom said to. Seriously, she told me to tell you. Thanks to audio engineer Todd Triple Double Hulslander for making us sound good today. Thanks to editor Mark DeClaudio for his piercing, blowing up my pager eyes. Since this is our last episode, I just want to give props to everyone who has been a part of this mini-series. Many thanks to the Music Academy of the West for all of their help and for letting the Classical Classroom crew crash their summer music festival. With special thanks to Kate Oberyat, who has not missed a spot and who's done an awful lot. And to Emma Levine, Barbara Hirsch, and Anthony Paget. Thanks to Scott Reed, Richie Holly, Matthew Sinnoh, Jeremy Dank, Bill Williams, Matthew O'Coin, Cynthia Phelps, Thomas Hampson, and Frank Huang. Without you guys, I would have just been talking to myself, which would have been weird. 
Thanks to KCRW and Santa Barbara and to engineer Catherine Barnes. I feel like we're BFFs now that we've spent so much time together, Catherine. Thanks to me for saying words, but most of all, thanks to you for listening. Oh, and just remember this very important advice on your way back to school. Now, where you sit in the cafeteria is crucial because you got everybody there. You got your freshmen, ROTC guys, preps, JV jocks, Asian nerds, cool Asians, varsity jocks, unfriendly black hotties, girls who eat their feelings, girls who don't eat anything, desperate wannabes, burnouts, sexually active band geeks, the greatest people you will ever meet, and the worst. Beware of the plastic. <laughs> <laughs>